Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. After publicly announcing he has AIDS, rock singer Freddie Mercury is dead. He had killed more than a dozen people and eaten some of them in his Milwaukee apartment that was literally a house of horror. I have therefore directed General Norman Schwarzkopf in conjunction with coalition forces to use all forces available, including ground forces, to eject the Iraqi army from Kuwait. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak. Yes, indeed. It is that time once again. Time for the Decibel Geek Podcast. How's it going, ladies and gentlemen? My name is Aaron Camaro. Joining me in the broadcast booth, my friend, my confidant, my rock and roll brother, Chris Zinzak. Yeah, how's it going? I'm doing pretty good, man. I mean, got a lot of great response off the Canadian deal from last week. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, people put down their Molsons long enough to send us some nice compliments. (laughs) Gosh darn it, don't you know. Never didn't hear anything from uh, Chad Kroger, so mission accomplished. Well, that, yeah, you're probably never going to hear nothing from that guy. <laughs> we did have one lucky. We did have one comment where a guy says, "No Nickelback and Triumph, you guys rock." <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, but you know, I don't know Triumph one that bad. They're okay, but they, we've heard enough Triumph. We I think we shine we uh, shone a light on some good stuff. Yeah, and I want to thank Wally for hooking me up with some Slick Toxic. Yes. Next time we do a Radio Sucks radio show, I'm going to put some Slick Toxic in there and let everybody hear it. It's some really good stuff. From the vault. Yeah. Speaking of Wally, uh, before we get into our little time machine here, I want to plug a couple of things he's done recently. He did a really cool interview with a band called West Memphis Suicide. Now, you would think this would be one of our local Tennessee bands, but oh no. This is another Canadian band, because Wally is our man to the north. Yeah, it's it's West Memf- Memphis, Saskatchewan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good interview. He uh, took some time and hung out with them after one of their shows and got a thing. And, and uh, we will definitely be playing them on an upcoming Fresh Blood segment. Cool. Um, he's sent us music. He's like, please play them. So we we got Stryker on first because they were first in line. But uh, West Memphis Suicide, you can uh, check out in the future. Also did a really good article about his first Kiss show. Uh, he saw them in Buffalo, New York in 84 on the Animalize tour. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's a pretty entertaining read. It's interesting to hear him thinking about they were going to see Bruce Kulick, or they were going to thinking they were going to see Mark St. John, and wound up getting Bruce Kulick and his thoughts on that tour. 
Yeah, it's a very interesting read. You guys can check that out on the website as well. Yeah, go to dbgeekshow.blogspot.com to check that out. And speaking of the website, our our other writers, Jay Alexander, Andrew, doing great stuff. We have uh, yeah, they are. We have uh, some new great articles that are being worked on at this moment. And also, we are still on the lookout for new writers and contributors. If you want to help out with, with the show, the site, anything, just get in touch with us. You know, and here's the thing, and here's the secret that you guys can do. You know, as long as you're representing us in a good way, you know, you can use this to your advantage. If you've always wanted to be able to go out and interview bands in your area and, you know, talk about the music scene wherever you're from, you know, you can use us. You drop our name. You say, hey, I'm so-and-so. I'm with the Decibel Geek Podcast, and I want to interview this band, you know, and it might open doors for you. So yeah. get get a hold of Chris and myself, you know, and we'll try it out. You yep. know, why not? Decibelgeek at gmail.com is the place to go. We are so cool that we're opening doors for you. Absolutely. So you know, if you get any free swag, you got to send it back to us. Well, enough about current events. Let's get to, <laughs> let's get into the, some old stuff. What do we got today? That's right. We we're talking about firing up the time machine once again, and we're going to do it today. We had so much great response off of doing the year in review for rock and roll in 1975, and we also did it again a few weeks ago with uh, 1982. Both vintage great years for hard rock and heavy metal. This time. We're going to set the dial back not quite as far. We're going to land in 1991. Yeah, we're going back to a year when this was near the top of the charts. There's some good hard rock and heavy metal for you, bro. This is not the way to kick off the show. Oh, no. Does this take you back to finger-banging a chick at the high school dance, Aaron? No, it really doesn't. I wasn't a high school dance kind of a guy, actually. Heard enough? Yes, sir. Yes, I have. You want me to cut it off? Yes, please. Yes, please. All right. Or right. I beat you down like Rodney King in 91. If you don't remember, that's Color Me Bad, which Bad. was a very aptly titled band. Uh, Color Me Awful. That had the, the Kenny G lookalike. You remember him? No, I really... Well, they had the dude that, that, that looked like Snow, the white rapper guy. Then they had the Kenny G guy with the big honker and the, and the long curly hair. Then they had the black dude. Then they had the Mexican guy that you had the George Michael You know way too much about this band, man. Way too much. Oh, come on. We were, <laughs> we were force-fed that crap forever. It's true, you know, and we talk about, you know, we go back to like we did for 75 and like we did for 82, and it's really easy to talk about all the great music that was coming out in those years, as well as 1991, but don't forget, you know, we talk about how today the music isn't that good it's not as good as it used to be everybody says you know but the thing is is there was bad music then too just like there is now and there is plenty of it yeah and you're going to hear some of the good and the bad hopefully mostly some of the good um 91 was an interesting year um i was in i think let's see 91 i was like 15 years old and i was in high school and um when i think of 1991 and i know we're not a sports show i think about um, the World Series in baseball that year it was with the, when the Bra- Atlanta Braves and the Minnesota Twins both went from worst to first and went to the World Series. They were doormats for years before that, especially the Braves. I was a Braves fan. Went to the Braves games when in through the 80s when my dad would take me and my family. And back when you could have an entire seating section to yourselves because they suck so bad. Wow. And uh, the running joke like back then was I went to Atlanta. I thought I'd go see a Braves game. I called the ticket office. I said, what time does the game start? They said, what time can you be here? <laughs> and I said, are there any good seats left? They said, can you pitch? Nice. <laughs> so, so, yeah, the Braves going to the World Series that year, even though they didn't win it and the Twins won it, uh, damn you, Kirby Puckett, it was oh, yeah. uh, it was a great, uh, great time for me. It was a good bonding experience for me and my dad. Also, top of the box office that year was – the uh, T two Terminator two movie, the one of the best movies ever in my opinion. I love all the Terminator movies, but 
the second one is far and beyond the best out of all of them. Seeing uh, seeing cyborg like people that look like they're made out of chrome, and uh, and then of course the Hasta La Vista baby line is. Yeah. I mean, it makes it a timeless film. Um, but yeah, there was a lot. We want to go ahead and get some music going though. So um, I'm gonna let you start off with the, the, when you think of '91. What, what's one of your favorite tunes from '91? When I go back to 1991, I got to think at the time. You know, what was I listening to? And there was so much good music coming out in '91. But this one is absolutely one of my favorites of all time, of all time, not just 1991. I'm talking about all the way up to today and everything beyond. In 1991, Skid Row came out with Slave to the Grind, which is a killer album through and through. One of my personal favorite tracks out there, check this one out. It's Mud Kicker from 91, Skid Row. This one is actually considered the first metal album to debut at number one on the Billboard charts. For good reason. Absolutely. I mean, you got to think back then, Skid Row, you know, they they only had their debut album before this, of course, with Youth Gone Wild and uh, 18 in Life and a bunch of other great tracks on that one. And I think the anticipation for their follow-up to that was huge. I know I was just going nuts waiting for this one to come out. And boy, was I not disappointed when it finally did. And it was a, uh, and it came out just in the nick of time, because as we'll discuss later, it came out in July, and then a couple of months later, things completely changed. Absolutely, yeah, a big, a big crash of music happening in '91. As far as you know, the, the change of guard, pretty much in rock music in 1991. You talk about the death of the party rock band and the rise of the Seattle grunge scene. Yeah. And 1991 really truly is the pivotal point. It's where it all begins because if you look at the lineup of bands that are coming out with music this year, it's a fine blend of both. You know, yeah. the the party rock bands from the 80s don't realize it's over yet. And the grunge guys don't really realize it's taken off. But this year is where it all begins. It is it's true. And, you know, and it's interesting now to look back because at the time everything seemed like such a it's such such a just a huge divided shift. And, yeah, there are there were the pretty boy Floyd's and then there was, you know, grunge truck and Melvin's. And right. so, yeah, there was a big dividing line there. But then there were also Shades of Grey, which, you know, the, they didn't release an album in 91. That's why they're not going to get played on here. But Allison Chains, in my opinion, they had a good mix of the old and the new. You yeah. you had a little bit of the old school rock and roll. And also, I want to mention this next band who, you know, I think I they're probably up at the top with Alice in Chains to me personally as, as far as the quote-unquote grunge era. I consider this a rock and roll band. Yeah, for sure. You know, and yeah, they had dark undertones and you had Black Hole Sun and all that. But Soundgarden was 
I think one of the best bands, and you know, yes, I know they had plenty of success, but they were underrated compared to like Pearl Jam at the time, and for sure. Yeah, because when they came out, you know, it was one of those things where. You know they're they're kind of lumped in with the Alice in Chains, with the Nirvanas, with the grunge scene up in Seattle because that's the thing that the record executives, MTV, everybody's pushing now. Mm-hmm. And uh, but again, like Alice in Chains, these guys, especially in 90, uh, 1991, they come out with this one, Bad Motor Finger. Yeah. And this is a rock album through and through. You can call it grunge. You can call it you know alternative. You can call it whatever you want. But this is this is hard rock right here. Yeah, this is a great riff. If I didn't need to say it, that's Jesus Christ pose off Bad Motor Fingers. Man, I love that tune. So many great tracks off that disc. And, you know, whether they changed or not over the years, you know, I always go back to this album as being, to me, the definitive Soundgarden. Yeah, it was really good. I, I used to have a real soft spot for Louder Than Love, but over the years, Bad Motor Fingers kind of edged it out as far as my favorite. And uh, I'll never forget, the thing, speaking of 91, this wasn't 91. It was a couple of years later when I started playing in a band in high school. Me and my guitar player spending like a good two hours just doing our damnedest to figure out how to play that riff. Nice. And we figured it out, but we never actually put it all together. But yeah, that's a great tune. But uh, there was also some really good melodic rock being put out back in those days. Well, and that's the thing, too. And you talk about like a band like Soundgarden, and we talked about Alice in Chains. You know, Pearl Jam came out with 10 that year. Didn't really break until like 92, but it was the change that was coming, you know, that was obvious. But yet there were still bands coming out from the, you know, the old guard, as you'd say, you know, still coming out with good stuff in 91. Good example of that from Chicago, Illinois, the band Enough's Enough. Wonderful. Great band came out with strength in 1991 was a great album um these guys were actually let me see if i got my notes right here yeah right here rolling stone magazine hot band of 1991 one of david letterman's favorite bands also yeah and and a big favorite of howard stern as well also yeah howard stern always supported those guys you know i don't know you know it's just one of those things where this was a band that you know they never really broke the the crust i mean this was one of their higher ranking albums and it went to 143 on the billboard charts you know critically acclaimed yeah you know are they selling and making a lot of money no no but i highly recommend you check out the band enough's enough here's a perfect example of that from 1991 this one's called coming home you're listening to the decibel geek podcast this one's off of strength 
Tell you what, that is that's some pretty damn good power pop rock right there. Well, you know, and that's the thing that I always thought with Enough's Enough was, you know, when this all changed, when the the music, you know, the rock music all changed in '91. Um, Enough's Enough kind of unfairly got grouped in with a lot of bands because this, like I said, was only their second album. You know, they came out in the late '80s with their debut album, and so they got lumped in with all the bands that were all of a sudden scorned, you know, for being well, what they had been so popular for for all these years. But enough's enough didn't it didn't really fit in with all that, but they just kind of got lumped in because of the look. Yeah, say musically they didn't fit in. Visually, they played the game. Well, um, yeah, went, and the, right well, along the story I always heard was that they came out to L.A. didn't really want to do all that. And they said, well, you got to do this. You got to look like Poison. You got to look like these other bands that are doing the glam thing. Otherwise, you know, we're not going to sign you. And you need rainbows in your video. Right. You know, so these <laughs> guys balloons. were, they were more like hippies than they were like oh, yeah, 80s uh, hair band heavy, guys. Heavy uh, Beatles influence. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Brit, Brit pop sound. But yeah, let's go for something that's not, I would not call this Beatles influence. I would call this just ass kicking rock yeah. or metal. This I'm talking about corrosion of conformity. And this, Hell yeah. this is a record that pretty well flew under the radar. This is is uh, the, even a different lineup for the band but I'm just going to say this is a song called Mine Are the Eyes of God and this was from an album called Blind that got released under Relativ- Relativity Records in 91 flew under the radar but this is just an awesome song go ahead and here's a little taste of this one
not produce the greatest, but a fucking awesome song. Well, again, too, and it illustrates the different how many different genres of rock were popular at this time. And this these guys here, you know, more than anything, show the change a coming. Yeah. You know, because while these guys are putting out new music, you know, there's bands out there like Dinosaur Jr., like the Screaming Trees are putting out debut albums. You know, so the change is right around the corner in 1991. Such, a, such an eclectic time it really for is. music. It's very cool. And I this, like it. This one flew under my radar until I started researching for the show because, I mean, I like COC, but I never really dug deep into the catalog. I had the Deliverance album, but, you know, which yeah, everybody knows that's that. That's awesome. Um, but, uh, yeah, the drumming on that's great, and I mean, I, could you imagine if you had the Deliverance album's production with that song? It would just, it would be awesome. Yeah, for sure. But uh, before we take a break, let's. Uh, hey, you know who else came out with an album in '91? Well, I was going to mention because that album was called "Mine Are the Eyes of God," and since we're on the subject of God, who else put an album out that year? Motorhead, of course, Lemmy. The Motorhead, I think they put out an album almost every single year, don't they? Pretty much. I mean, they've been on it for a long time. They've got a lot of albums out there. Um, this one here came out in, of course, 1991, what we're talking about. Where is my... See, this is what happens when I take notes. I try not to be prepared half the time and just go with what I'm doing. But <laughs> anyway, in 1991, they came out with 1916, and that was their ninth album. Yep. Here's a track off of there. You may have heard this one before. If you haven't, crank it up real loud right now. I'm so bad, baby, I don't care. No, you don't. Casting live from Lemmy's Mole, you're listening to the Decibel Geek Podcast. We interrupt your podcastual programming for this HollywoodLeak.com news break. Here's the latest from HollywoodLeak.com. Own network tanking, Oprah wants her cars back. Seal grows mustache, changes his name to Walrus. And a quick pilot casting update, you didn't get it. Entertainment news is always leaking. For these stories and more, go to HollywoodLeak.com. Hi, I'm Axl Rose's Alarm Clock, and the reason the band is late tonight is because I'm busy listening to the Decibel Geek Podcast. Look into my eyes. Oh, no. Look into my eyes, Aaron. I won't do it. I won't. But you'll see what you mean to me. <laughs> This Welcome was, back. yeah, look at this. <laughs> yeah, we're back. I can't believe it. I quit. I'm out of here. 
<laughs> that song <laughs> was huge in 91, Well, it was the number one hit single of 1991. Yep, that's Brian Adams with Everything I Do, Do It From You, Do It For You. That was from the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves soundtrack. <laughs> Horrible movie with Kevin Costner. Um, definitely was played at probably every single high school dance I went to, especially that year. Yeah, rounding out the other top five singles from 1991, Michael Jackson, Black or White, was number two. Rock set with Joyride comes in at number three. Rock number four, set. it's the Scorpions with Winds of Change was oh. the number four biggest hit of the year in yep. 1991 in the U.S. And uh, rounded out number five, R.E.M. Losing My Religion. So like I said, yeah. you know, bad music in 1991 abounds as well. I have a I have a guilty confession to make. Oh, no. I kind of like the Scorpions and R.E.M. tunes. Just, well, just you know, I like the Scorpions, but... I, that's the REM only... to me is like without a doubt the most overrated <laughs> band of all time. Oh, I agree. Worse than U2. I Oh yeah. Worse than U2. U2's better, but that's one of the few songs there's I can stomach. I, 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 I don't guess. know. I dig I dig mandolins. What? No. No. I oh, I hate that song. I hate them all. All right. REM, well, you suck. Well, let's um before you we go back to 91, music, you suck now. A couple other things that were going on in 91. Um Pee Wee Herman uh, got arrested in a movie theater <laughs> for pleasuring himself. What a big story that was. I mean, that was like the well, running subject, joke subject in schools in a, all across everywhere. America. Oh, everywhere. And, and if only Pee Wee had the internet back in those days, he you know he could have choked his chicken at home and not, not even had anything to worry about. That's right, because in 1991, Pee Wee Herman could not just log on to the internet That's because right. there was no such thing. Although, well, he actually had to go to a movie theater. There was an internet, and the browser was invented in 91. I found that out. Yeah. But very few of us had even knew what the hell that was. Well, there were VCRs. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but for the most part, unless you had a collection of porn at home, if you wanted to you know, do your business, you had to go to an adult theater and do it. Because yep, you know no one else in the theater was doing it. See, it's an educational thing, too. Also that year. <laughs> it's like a history lesson. Right. <laughs> Silence of the Lambs came out that year, the story about Hannibal Lecter yeah. and, uh, you know, eating some eating some dude's organs. And, that uh, was huge, man, because there was nothing like that ever came well, out it before. Was, I guess, it was scary in a different kind of way. I just now thought of that. With Hannibal Lecter, I guess it was kind of the year of cannibalism, because you also had Jeffrey Dahmer uh, killing and eating people the same year. Yep. The big serial killers of the year that year, Jeffrey Dahmer, for sure, from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and... Yeah. Uh, what was her name? Eileen Wernos. Yeah, yeah, she was the one. She was a, a hooker, and she was killing all her clients, I guess. I know. She wasn't a very good business person, apparently. So, yeah, we want to get back to some songs. Uh, I, yeah. got, I got one that you picked it because I know in September a huge double album came out. Yeah, big year for Guns N' Roses in 1991. That would be the big return, of course, with the double Use Your Illusions 1 and 2 double release. Uh, 1991, they kicked off things with firing Steven Adler. That was that was the first big thing that Farm happened Aid in Farm Aid was his last show. Yeah, and he, Steven Adler, was done after that. Following that, Axl Rose demands the firing of their manager, Alan Niven. Stupid move. Against the rest of the band's wishes. Yep. But he pretty much holds them up and says, if you don't agree with me and fire this guy, we're not releasing Use Your Illusion 1 or 2. Right. So Ax they Axel's pretty much, that was Axel kind of taking the band, I guess, a in real 1991. A real stable personality, even back in those days. Yeah, and then, of course, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, they debut at number 1 uh -huh. and number 2, you know, huge albums. And, of course, the big hit ballads off of there, you know, November Rain, Don't Cry, Cry. and the massively expensive music videos. 
Yeah, well, remember you know, the video? Big change. The video for a strange. Yeah, it was, was cost he's swimming with the dolphins yeah, and riding uh, on an aircraft, aircraft carrier. carrier. It's nuts. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was Axel and his whole uh, tortured artist epic, you know, era. And the last stuff we got, other than the spaghetti incident, for what fifteen freaking years? Yeah, I mean, just oh. that was pretty much it because they came. Then they went out on the huge tour. Yeah. It was like twenty six months long. Yep. And it pretty much tore them apart. Yeah. You know, but, Axl Rose had taken the reins by then. You know, everyone else had all collapsed or been fired by the end of it. Yep. You know, they hired uh, uh, Dizzy Reed as yep. a keyboardist. I had to think of his name. I don't, you know how I feel about keyboardists and hard rock bands. The only member of the band still with Guns N' Roses. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yep. that's true. That's true. He is left. But, you know, back in 91, they still came out with some kick-ass music. Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. Both of them were killer. Just packed full of awesome stuff. Here's one of my personal favorites out there. Get you a little taste of this. Double talking Jive from 1991. Guns N' Roses, back when they were still kind of a team. Axl Rose just starting to take the reins on this one. They just don't make them like that anymore. Guns N' Roses, 1991. Use Your Illusion albums, you know, were kind of a, a strange collection of music. Some of it was like this that sounded very, you know, uh, Appetite for Destruction. Yeah. And then there was a lot of stuff on there, like you said, estranged. And some Orchestral. Of the, yeah, some of the, yeah, orchestras and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Strange yeah. stuff, you know. So it was... It was kind of half Guns N' Roses and even half the Axl Rose band at that time already. And so then you know how history goes with Guns N' Roses. Another underrated tune off that album, Dead Horse. Yeah, and Back Off Bitch. Back Off Bitch is good, That's too. That's another. I mean, it's packed with good stuff. Yeah. If you can get through some of the weird shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to play a tune now. I, I, you know, since we did our Dick Wagner interview a couple of weeks ago, I got to say, I've been on an Alice Cooper binge. Yeah? I've just been listening to so much Cooper stuff. Sorry for that abrupt ending there. I'm getting used to doing <laughs> the just hit a brick knobs. wall. Yeah, but uh, just really been listening to a lot of his stuff. And, um, you know, some stuff I like, some stuff I really don't like. There's, you know, he, there's a good mixed bag with Alice. The same with Kiss and all right. these other bands. Pretty much. But um, one thing that I you know, remember uh, Dick mentioned, uh, I don't know if it was with our interview or one of the other ones, was one of the last things he did with Alice, aside from his contribution to the last Welcome to My Nightmare album, the sequel album, mm -hmm. was... Um, his contribution to help writing a song on the Hey Stupid album from 1991. 
And uh, he helped write this song with Alice and Desmond Child. And I know a lot of hard rock and metal guys are like, oh, Desmond Child, oh, blah, all that syrupy crap. Now, I'll give you that. He, the, But if you look, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm older and wiser. There's more of a melodic sense that comes from his stuff. Now, you don't, you're never going to hear Lemmy write anything with Desmond Child. But, and there's I hope a, not. There's a, place, <laughs> there's a place for all of it. You know, you can have the hard stuff, but you can also have stuff that has some good melody. And this is a good marriage between the melody that Desmond Child brings, the interesting lyrics that Alice Cooper brings, and then the really epic-sounding, big-sound um, musically that Dick Wagner brings in his uh, type of songwriting. And this is a tune called Might As Well Be On Mars. And here's a good little snippet. It's an eight-minute song, so here's just a little bit of it. That Hey Stupid album is worth your time if you really want to hear some good Alice Cooper stuff. Some of the best stuff he did from that era, in my opinion. You know, and also besides Dick Wagner, uh, Alice Cooper pulled out all the stops to get superstars appearing on that one. Slash makes an appearance on there. Ozzy, Steve Vai, mm -hmm. uh, Nikki Six, and Mick Mars from Motley Crue yep. also appear on that album. And it's interesting to note as well, 1991 being a big change in music, you know, and especially that type of song like we just heard, yeah. where, you know, this was Alice Cooper's follow-up to Trash, yeah. which went to 20 on the Billboard charts just a few years before. This one only makes it up to 47. Yeah. So again, it, you know. It was and a it's wrong a time. Wrong time for these bands. For example, you know, talking about a band like White Lion, who yeah. are known for songs like When the Children Cry, Little Fighter, and Wait, Wait yeah. you know, which are these sappy, syrupy love ballads, very you know, melodic. and <laughs> very melodic. They, they pretty much epitomized what all the grunge bands were coming up and pretty much being dead against was like White Lion. So, for example, White Lion in 87, they come out with Pride, which has When the Children Cry on it, and it goes up to number 11 mm -hmm. on the Billboard charts, right? So in 98, or excuse me, 89, they come out with Big Game. That's got Little Fighter and Radar Love on it. Goes That's to number goes to number 19. But now in 1991, the winds of change, as the Scorpions noted earlier, uh. are blowing. <laughs> and they're blowing in the direction of White Line because in 91, they come out with Main Attraction yep. that only goes up to number 61. Wow, I thought it charted higher than that. And has no hit singles on yeah, it. Yeah, it didn't. Wow. None. Yeah. So that shows, too, right there how things are changing. And, you know, the continuing talk is the bands that have come out of Seattle. And this one, I think I think the Temple of the Dog album did a lot as far as, you know, really breaking the bands like Soundgarden and breaking the bands like Pearl Jam. Because mm -hmm. at the time, Pearl Jam, I think their album was out, but nobody had heard it. 
But yeah. once Temple of the Dog hit, which you know, Pearl, it's it's basically it's part Soundgarden, part Pearl Jam. Yeah, it's almost like an All Star album for and, and for that people was, that weren't All Stars yet. Right, and that's the <laughs> thing. I mean, it was marketed perfectly, and they talk about you know the hair bands and the '80s kind of scene being all marketed and over scripted more or less. Yep. You know, this was truly a marketing ploy too. Yes, you know, it was a tribute to Andrew Wood. Oh yeah, you know, from from Mother Love Bone, who was the previous incantation of Pearl Jam before Eddie Vedder. But yet a very different band. Worth checking out if you've really never checked it out. Really worth checking out. Mother Love Bone is awesome. They're not. They were. If they would have stuck it out, you know, if Andrew Wood would have lived, they would have been a part of that grunge scene too. But again, they weren't really what you'd consider a grunge band. You know, no, to me, were, I listened uh, to them. They were more of a. They're what you call a tweener. Yeah, a tweener. Perfect yeah, example. Were, of that, you didn't know which way they would go, but they were really good. So in '91, it's a super group of guys. You know, nobody really knew, but for some reason, they must be important. Well, it wouldn't take long for everybody to realize just how important all these guys were. Check this one out. This one rocks a lot. It's pushing forward back. It's Temple of the Dog on the Decibel Geek Podcast. might have called it grunge but to me you know other than the uh the image of it all Mm -hmm. it's all rock and roll to me yeah it is and i want to play something that's a little bit off the beaten path and this is something as i mentioned earlier with the coc track which i i knew who coc was beforehand here's a band that i didn't even know of no i've never heard of these guys either. three days ago i went on as we me and aaron like to do sometimes we'll go on our facebook pages and we'll just we'll put a little thing out saying well what did you think what were your favorite songs of this time or this year or or, or this band or whatever we're going to do a show on because it's good to hear what people think right because i mean as much as we try to pride ourselves on knowing our shit you know, there's still stuff that gets past us too. So you guys always help well, us out with that. And this is what we fun return the favor. Us. We yeah. get we get turned on to new stuff. And this is um, Andrew Jacobs, our one of our great writers. He uh, he knew one of the members of this band, and this album came out in '91, and apparently it flopped. I don't know why, because it's a really good song, or this song I'm gonna play. This is a band called Mind Funk. And uh, had some members of some other bands that you may have heard of. I don't have the note in front of me, and I'm sorry. I'll add that to the site if I get a chance. But um, this is from 1991, came out in March. And this song is called Sugar Ain't So Sweet.
putting the O back in rock. It's just like a... Oh. 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 A hot night! Oh. Yes! 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 Listening to the Decibel Geek Podcast. Hi, this is Nikki Six's Out of Body Experience, and you're listening to the Decibel Geek Podcast. It's not us, it's 1991. You're listening to the Decibel Geek Podcast, <laughs> Amy Grant. Ugh. There you go. Bad music around in 1991. Amy Grant, of course, huge that year, making her big crossover from, I guess she was just a Christian artist, and then she yeah. was a worldwide accepted artist. I don't know how that all works. Yeah, I always, me and my friend in college always used to call the song Vavy Vavy, because that's what it sounds like she's oh, singing. Oh, yeah. But anyway, other women ruling the world in 1991. Janet Jackson. She's yeah. got uh, she's got her album comes out. Uh, the Rhythm Nation. Yep. Um, seven top five singles off that album. Wow. That scores her a 30 million dollar contract with Virgin Records in 1991. Richard Branson paid up for that. Yeah. Big time. Also huge in 1991. Of course, Whitney Houston with the Bodyguard soundtrack. God, how awful that was. Just awful music. <laughs> you know, this is how Whitney crazy everybody was back in 91. She sang at the Super Bowl. She sang the Star Spangled Banner, and they mm-hmm. actually recorded it and released it, and it was a huge hit single. Oh, yeah, it was all over the radio. You know, yeah, I mean, I don't just, that doesn't happen anymore. That's no. odd. Well, we were also in a time where everyone was feeling quite patriotic because of the Gulf War that had right. started that year. And uh, so, yeah, we all bought into the whole Saddam Hussein thing, hook, line, and sinker, and uh, mm. the Super Bowl was kind of a time everyone wanted, everyone got real super patriotic, and I, right. you know, we do that, and then a year later, we're not, but anyway. Right, it's all. We're not a politics show. <laughs> yeah, let's not, let's just not go there. But big year for women, um, even on TV, because like you had shows like Roseanne Designing Women and Murphy Brown were like the, up at the top of the uh, TV ratings. Of course, I like the show Coach. That was a real guy show. Was, yeah, I like Coach. Yeah. It was a football show. Yeah, Craig T. Nelson yelling at everybody. It was a fun show to watch. <laughs> <laughs> but in September of 1991, this is when the tide shifted. This is when everything got turned upside down. This is when Janie Lane and Warrant suddenly became irrelevant. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, 1991 was the year that, you know, a lot of people probably think this is Nirvana's debut, but it's actually not. I actually listened to Nirvana before this came out. Bleach. Just on a chance thing that I was at a Best Buy and found the Bleach cassette for a dollar or something. But listened to it and told all my friends, listen, check this out. This is pretty cool. But nobody ever thought nothing of it. All of a sudden I turned around and Nirvana's the, the next big thing. They're everywhere. Teen Spirit came out. And that video came out, and it was it. It really was like everything changed overnight. It really was. Well, and that goes back to the story of 1991 being the year that you know the hair bands, the the party rock bands, whatever you want to call them, you know, don't quite realize it's over yet, and the grunge bands don't really realize that it's begun. Because here's Nirvana, a band that you know when they when they made this album, they didn't expect it to do what it did. No. You know, not at all. I mean, they were. They weren't expecting much. 
as far as I can tell, of what I've read. They weren't expecting much at all beyond what maybe what they did with Bleach. Yeah. But all of a sudden, you know, everything is in the right place at the right time. You know, the, the cover is, you know, bright green and catchy, and people look at it, and next thing you know, it's on MTV. It's everywhere. You know, but a ton of hit singles off there, but also a lot of great backtracks, too, as you can check out this one right here. One of my personal favorite Nirvana tunes. This one rocks pretty good. It's Lounge Act from, of course, Nevermind in 1991, the album that pretty much changed it all. Yeah, if you only know Nirvana from the handful of songs that they play on the radio, you really kind of owe it to yourself if you're the one or two people living in the world that don't own this disc or have never heard it. Go pick up Nevermind and listen to some of those backtracks, and while you're at it, go get Bleach. Bleach is pretty badass, too. I actually prefer Bleach. Yeah, I do, too. But if you want a, um, a good primer on Nevermind, uh, I think on Netflix streaming right now, they're streaming the classic albums, Nervana Nevermind, a special that VH1 put together where you've got Butch Vig who produced the album. If you don't know who Butch Vig is, if you heard the band Garbage, he's the main guy that writes all that stuff. Yeah, Butch Vig's from Wisconsin, too. Yes, he is. Yeah. And um, a lot of great producers are from Wisconsin. And um, so, yeah, you, you hear him, like, deconstruct the songs. You hear where Kurt starts blowing his voice out on uh, Teen Spirit. And it's, it's, it's a really good uh, thing. If you never heard Nevermind, it's a good way to get into the songs. That's cool. I'll check that out. I've never seen it. Yeah, it's really good. I'm Netflix streaming now. So I want to go ahead and get into something that from 91 that... Now, this this song, in my opinion... I'm not even familiar with this. I think when you hear part of it, you will be, because it did pretty well on the radio. And this is by an artist named Matthew Sweet. Now, this ain't the drummer from Striper, is it? No, that's Robert Sweet. Oh, it's not the singer from Striper. Sw- <laughs> Michael Sweet is the singer. No, no, no. Damn it, you beat me to and it. If you've Let ever me finish s- my jokes. <laughs> finish your joke. And if you've ever seen Matthew Sweet, you'll know he's not related. He looks nothing like those guys. Um, and honestly, most of Matthew Sweet's catalog I don't like. But the uh, guitar playing on this tune is really good. And it had a kind of a famous video at the time that had... Uh, it was a new concept at the time with this ja- Japanese animation that was part of the video, but it's got like this Jang Lee Hendrixy type of guitar work on it. So we're gonna play a little bit about a little bit of this. This is Matthew Sweet with a song called Girlfriend.
You don't remember that one? No. I don't know if I like that or not. Oh, it's got that old fuzz box guitar playing. It's kind of that old jangly 60s-era sound. Yeah, I, always, I, I guess it's, it's kind of cool. It's all right. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't trying to put you down or nothing. Shit on my pick. That's oh, cool. Oh, man. <laughs> all right. Well, what do you got? Um. Did you know that in uh, 1991, Magic Johnson announced that he had AIDS? And he's still around. 21 years later. How does that work? He looks good for a guy, guy that that's had right AIDS now, for right? 21 yeah. years. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. I mean, not to make fun of it or anything, but, you know, because the AIDS, of course, is awful. And, you know, this was about the time when all that was becoming real apparent, you know. and, and That was shocking. Yeah, scary stuff. You know, goodbye, free love. You'll never be back. I, I couldn't believe it. I was the first, like, uh, other than, you know, you, it was one of the first straight celebrities I think it's ever, you know, mentioned that he had it. And, uh yeah, it was a big deal. I'll never forget watching it live when he did the press conference. Right, and of course that year of uh, Freddie Mercury dies also, you know, from As, complications with AIDS. Yeah, and uh, on the same day, Eric Carr of Kiss also passed away. Yeah, unbelievable. I remember that day sucked. That. Yeah, that was crazy. You know, Freddie Mercury and Eric Carr dead on the same day. I woke up for woke up for school and had MTV on as I always did, and uh, got out of bed and the MTV news break started up and there it was and I was like, wow. They're they're both gone all at once. It was it was it was a damn shock. Yeah. Freddie Mercury, I think we all knew, was sick for a while. Eric Carr, the band did Kiss did a good job of covering not covering it up, but not uh, letting people know the severity of how bad he was. Right. Because I never saw death as far as what was coming for him. I never saw it. No, it seemed like it was one of those things where there's something going on. It's not that big of a deal. Everything will be back. No problem. Anytime soon. Here's a nice song for you for the uh, Bill and Ted soundtrack to hold you over. Oh, yeah, Everything's going to be fine, you know. But then it turned out where it wasn't, you know. I remember, too, I was at school and somebody told me about it. I was like, yeah, right, you know. It was And didn't believe it until finally I asked and asked and asked and enough people said, yeah, you know, Eric Carr's dead. Yeah, it was really sad. Um, And we did a want to uh, send our best wishes out to Loretta Caravello, Eric's sister, who we interviewed not long ago. And um, also go to ericcar.com. Let's go ahead and give her a plug for those trading yeah, cards that just got came those, out. Those These, cards are up and ready for yeah, you. We talked about really that. Really cool uh, photos of Kiss and the band of Eric. and that he A lot of photos that he took himself while on tour. So go to ericcar.com. Pick those up. That It goes to a, good, a worthy cause there. Yeah, and those cards, I mean, if you're Kiss fans like we are, you know, and you like seeing unreleased and candid photos, that's a perfect opportunity for you to do it. And like Chris said, it goes to help a good cause at the same time and uh love you loretta love to have you back on the show sometime real soon well um there was a a great band uh from back in the 80s that carried over into the 90s speaking of kiss i saw this band open for kiss the next year in 92 we're talking about great yeah, white that's right hey i seen them on that same tour great white uh i think did trickster open for them when <laughs> unfortunately you them? yeah man they were awful creators of the greatest beer coaster in history see and those guys were the uh Kind of the like the reason I think that people were starting to get fed up with the oh, the, the glam rock scene. You know, it was the tricksters, the danger dangers. You know, bands like that that were coming out with stuff that just you know was so carbon copy of the things that came before it, just not as good. You know, yeah, a trickster. I just couldn't get it. Danger, danger. They had a few things I liked. They um they opened up for Kiss the first time. I saw them the year before, nineteen ninety. 
So, yeah. So yeah, pretty good band, but like Pretty Boy Floyd and yeah. right. Oh, so yeah, stuff I mean, like that. And there's that a million of them good. that we've never even heard of. You oh, know, sure. it was just everybody was trying to do that. You know, it's and it's different when it comes from a place where you're creating it, a Motley Crue, a Poison. You know, you're kind of creating your own niche. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's like everybody's just saying, "Hey, that works. Let's do that too." It takes the heart and soul out of it, and therefore that's where the change came in. Yeah. Um. You know, one band that wasn't really affected by it too much because this was a pretty good album for them and uh, did okay on the charts. But again, it's a sign of these bands that just came out with, you know, big selling albums. Mm -hmm. Talking about Great White, this would have been their follow-up to uh, Twice Shy, which of course had the song Once Bitten, Twice Shy, a huge hit single for them. And, you know, Great White's out there, they're following it up, they're expecting big things. Well, critically... If I'm the critic, this album was killer. It's Hooked from 1991. This is Great White. great band i mean these guys stay true to what works for them and you know like i said trying to follow up that big hit album with hooked and they did okay but it didn't quite measure up to what they'd done in years past yeah and another band that um from that era that, a band that actually did quite well during this time considering the, the climate they were in this album came out two weeks before never mind i'm um, talking about psychotic supper by tesla great An- album another blues-based rock band that, as you mentioned before, kind of unfairly got lumped into a lot of the glam stuff. Right. Um, they did wear a little bit of spandex, but they didn't really go crazy with the makeup or anything. Um, but they knew how to write a kick-ass number one hit love ballad, didn't they? Yeah, they did. And um, this song, this I want to I want to play part of this because this also relates to news from uh, '91. Sad news. And we mentioned people that we lost that year. We lost Steve Clark of Def Leppard that year, you also. Um, Def Leppard would never be the same. Never be the same. And. Um, but Tesla were good friends with Steve, and every you know they were. Steve was a good guitar player, and uh, yeah. very underrated guitar player. As far as my opinion, I think uh, his intro that he wrote to Gods of War is just amazing. I mean, just I'll even go on the record as saying, in my opinion, the day Steve Clark died was the day Def Leppard started to suck. Well, they yeah, they because they just they almost became sort of just pasteurized process. I think he was the the balls of the band. You know, he was the one that kept them hard. He would pull them back know, to that yeah, rock and, and keep roll them route. a rock band. Yeah. yeah. Once he was gone, there was nobody there to anchor them into their rock and roll roots, and they just kind of became. Michael Bolton or whatever the hell they are today. <laughs> no, more top 40. Yeah. But yeah, this was a song that Tesla wrote in honor of Steve Clark, and this is a song called Song and Emotion.
Tesla Fantastic Live Band. Check them out if you get a chance. One of the best live shows I ever saw. Yeah, love that song, love that band. Tesla in 1991 is a band, along with a couple of other ones, that have roots kind of in the 80s. They're known as 80s bands, but are still scoring huge with big singles. Of course, Tesla off a of Psychotic Supper, they had What You Give, yeah. was a huge single and carried them up to uh, pretty high on the charts. Another band that did that that year, Mr. Big, came out with Lean. Of course, they had To Be With You, number one hit single in the United States. And uh, let's see, oh, Extreme was another one, <laughs> a hard rock words. band that came out with a big ballad single that year. And, yep, you're right, More Than Words, number one on the Billboard single charts in kind 1991. Because of, of grunge, I think it was kind of the last year you could get away with doing the ballad. Yeah, you know, and even in 91, it's got to be a pretty damn good ballad yeah. in order for it to go anywhere. Well, and these bands were able to do that, and they captured the imagination of so many people with these ballads mm-hmm. that, you know, they were still doing pretty damn good for themselves in the the crest of the tidal wave that was coming from the north northwest. Well, Speaking of the Midwest, we haven't uh, heard from the Cheesehead contingent today, so... That's right. You can't have 91 without talking about tough, right? Of course. I uh, remember uh, Dial MTV. Of course. Yeah, because you could call up the, you know, and make your votes and everything. These guys, they'll tell you every day of the week, uh, they had a hit ballad back in the day, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Hate Kissing You Goodbye. <laughs> this was their debut album, so again, this shows, too, that these types of bands are still coming out. You know, they don't realize it's over yet. You know, yeah. they're still... They're catching that last wave. Right. And by, by 1992, they got the cold slap. You oh, know, yeah. they know it by 92. 91, it's still kind of up in the air. So bands like this are still coming out with debut albums. Check this one out. It's tough. I mean, these guys are an L.A. strip band through and through. Take one look at them. You know it. Get your gang vocals on. Yeah, 1991, tough with good guys wear black. Music from 1991. It was about as close as you could get to it. Wanting 
Yes, folks, we've uh, covered a lot of really good music so far in this episode, but... Uh, but not that. But not this. No, no. That's the now skin and bones Madonna. Well, you know, and it's funny, day. too. You look back at 91, you're talking about Madonna and Amy Grant and Whitney Houston and Brian Adams and all these really Chicks. terrible, yeah, oh, terrible music, I was going to say. But uh, then is it an odd coincidence that also in that year, Dr. Jack Kevorkian had to be stopped from helping people kill themselves. So now it you know it makes sense looking back in history. Jack Kevorkian was only trying to save us from Whitney Houston and the like. You think... Yeah, no, I'm not going there. <laughs> I don't want to get angry emails. But, uh, let, well, let's before we finish off, we don't, we don't want to talk too much sports, but the 91 was one of the years, well, one of the many years in the early 90s that the Chicago Bulls were dominant with yeah. uh, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. That guy sold a lot of shoes in the 90s. Oh, yeah. Be Like Mike and the Gatorade commercials, the Wheaties boxes, the Sports Illustrated covers, you know, the Olympic Dream Team. I mean, the guy was awesome, though. He uh, he transcended sports. People that didn't even give a crap about sports were big fans of his. Yeah, for sure, because he, like you say, he transcended basketball and was became like a pop icon more than anything and still remains so this day. Yep, so we got a couple more tunes to play on the way out here. And Aaron, what do you got next? Well, we're talking about bands and how, you know, what a weird time it was. How there was, in the mix, there was, you know, the the bands that were considered hair bands. In the mix, he also had, like, the heavy bands, you know, the hard rock thrash bands. Overkill came out with music that year. Mm -hmm. um, just a odd, you know, just let me run down the list of bands that, you know, we might not have mentioned that came out with stuff that year. Um, the Cult came out with music Ceremony. that year. Yeah, it was pretty good. Um, Caius came out with their yep. debut album that year with uh, Josh Homme that would go on to form Queens of the Stone Age. Um, the Prince of Darkness, Ozzy Osbourne, Ozzy Osbourne came out with tears. a killer album that year. Red Hot Chili Peppers. Red Hot Chili Peppers, Sepultura. Um, like I mentioned, I Overkill. something from Sepultura. Yeah. yeah. Rush had music out that year. It Roll was the their, their 14th album. Um, it was the first top five album they had since 81. Yep. So Rush was back on, on the case. Um, Anthrax. Attack of the Killer Bees, nominated for a Grammy. Of course, known for uh, a ton of great songs on that one, as well as their duet with, uh, I guess not really a duet, but a team-up with Public Enemy. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, so Bring that was noise. huge. Um, talking about the feud between David Lee Roth and Van Halen, well, in 1991, the undisputed champions of that battle royale was definitely Van Halen as oh, they yeah. came out with the uh, four... The fuck album. Yeah, the fuck yeah. album. I'll just, I'll just say it, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. No I, just, I was trying to let it out, but something was making me it's stop. That, it's that old radio. You know, Van Halen, of course, goes to number one. They got a ton of hit singles off of there with Sammy Hagar. Uh, David Lee Roth, well, he didn't do bad. He got up to 18 on the Billboard charts with oh, his... Was that a Little Ain't Enough? Little Ain't yeah, Enough, yeah. you know, not a bad album. Um, it's got Greg Bissonette on there and uh, Jason Becker, a hell of a player on Great that one player. too, but just not the attention that Van Halen got that year. Um, another interesting story from 91, the Black Crows get signed on to go on tour with ZZ Top on a Miller Beer-sponsored tour. <laughs> um, a little while into the tour, the Black Crows start bad-mouthing the ideals of corporate sponsorship and about how bands shouldn't take corporate sponsorship. But the funny thing about that was... It was after they already signed on to the tour. So their bad mouth and ends up getting them booted off this lucrative tour that they could have been on with ZZ Top for yeah. a little 
counterproductiveness, I guess. I think they cut off their nose to spite their face a few times back in those days. You know, and yeah, I ain't the biggest Black Crows fan or nothing. I respect these guys and everything, you know, and, and they've got some good stuff. You know, I, I guess I like the Crows, but it's kind of one of those things where I think it almost seemed like it was more for show. Like, they're really putting themselves in with the anti-establishment Look how socially aware we are. Yeah, kind of like that, but, you I know. I think Pearl Jam did that to a point, too. Right, you know, it's it's not quite as bad as, like, tying yourself to the one of the letters in the Hollywood sign or nothing like that. <laughs> and then, then when the news camera gets there, you know, what did you do this for? World peace? You know, freeing children in Mexico? No, publicity. I just did it for publicity. Yeah. If he would have said anything else... Anything else other than being honest and saying it was for publicity, that would have been a huge deal. Yeah, he would I'm have. doing it for the children of Nicaragua. All of a sudden, you know, love hate would have been the next big thing. Well, let's speak of a band. <laughs> let's speak of a band that that didn't give a rat's ass about doing any social commentary on anything other than just partying. Right, because this band, I remember it was weird because I remember the top bands were they were like Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, <laughs> Pearl Jam, Stone Temple Pilots, and Ugly Kid Joe. Yeah, Ugly Kid Joe comes out in 1991 with this one. Love this song, Whiplash Liquor. Check this one out. It's from 1991's EP, Ugly As They Want To Be. Yeah, from 1991. They didn't really fit in with the other bands that were coming out at that time, but they were very successful nonetheless. Um, of course, everybody knows the song from 91, Everything About You. That song sound, This song sounds like kind of a little cousin of it. Yeah. I can kinda. hear the relationship. And if you don't know, Ugly Kid Joe got their name from making fun of the band Pretty Boy. Right. So I guess in that way, they did kind of fit with the new scene of bands, but... Musically, definitely not, but the people were digging it. The first EP ever certified multi-platinum. Really? As ugly as they want to be, Ugly Kid Joe. I did not know that. Yeah. What was the other one, Minister Sobriety? Uh, yeah, they ended up coming out with, uh, well, they had a few CDs. They came out with this one was their EP, and then they followed it up with America's Least Wanted, yeah. which yeah. had the cover of the old uh, Cherry uh, Harry Chapin tune, um, Cats, in, Cats the in the Cradle. Yeah. And that was a huge hit single for them. It was a cover, but it was a huge hit. And then they just kind of got dropped, like many other bands, in within the next couple of years after 1991. Mm -hmm. But they continued on, had uh, came out with Menace to Sobriety and Motel California, right. which were two of my absolute favorite albums of all time, just killer stuff. But they never got any airplay, never got any advertisement or anything. Yeah. Um, now, many, many years later, Ugly Kid Joe, back in the studio, should have something coming out this year, I'm told. Cool. That sounds good. From my inside sources. Well, this has been a <laughs> this has been a kind of a, I think it's been a pretty good look at the 1991. Gives you a little bit of a taste, a little bit of everything that was going on at yeah, the time. Yeah, everything from uh, the Gulf War to you know Super Nintendo and, and everything in between. Dahmer eating people. Comedy Central debut that year. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
a lot of good stuff. And I think we're going to close out the show with a song that you had picked and also a song that I had picked on my list. So I figured what better way to go out than with uh, probably the ultimate metal record of the year. You have to give it the credit it deserves. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at the thing about what makes 1991 so cool is the fact if you look at the top 10 albums of the year, number one, it's Nirvana. Number two, it's this band. We couldn't do this show in 1991 without talking about Metallica. Um, Number three was U2. Number four, R.E.M. Number five, Pearl Jam. Six, Michael Jackson. Seven, Guns N' Roses. Eight, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Nine, Brian Adams. Ten, Guns N' Roses, the second one. So if you look at that, you know, other than Michael Jackson, those could all be considered rock bands. For the most part, yeah. For the most part. You know, you got Metallica in there, metal. You know, you've got some alternative rock bands in there. Of course, you got, you know, Brian Adams. I guess he's got a guitar rem they've got guitars <laughs> he's got a guitar <laughs> you too they've got guitars i guess you can call them a rock band. can they play them no. but you know the thing is is that if you look at say like last year or this year i don't think you're going to see as many rock bands on that top 10 list right you know so 1991 was a damn good year for rock and roll well we're on our way out we're going to play finish it off with metallica of wolf and man and uh Parting words, Aaron? Um, just want to say 1991 kicked ass. I wish I could go back, you know, and look forward to all the great music that was coming out at that time. You don't really get to do that so much anymore in the digital age that we're living in. Um, I remember standing outside of uh, music stores waiting for them to open up the gates in the mall to be able to go in and, and buy Slave to the Grind, you know. Mm-hmm. Kids just don't get that experience nowadays, I don't think. I don't think so either. You know, so it's kind of a shame. So it's been a thrill to go back to 1991. We've got some big, 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 Big things coming up here in the next couple of weeks right here on the Decibel yep. Geek Podcast. You guys keep checking with us on um, at our website, of course, www.dbgeekshow.blogspot.com. Yep. And uh, you got to go to Facebook. One thing I noticed on Facebook the other day is that we actually get more listeners to every episode then we do have people that like us on Facebook. How the hell does that work? I don't know. Mathematically, get it does not work. Up. So, yeah, get those numbers up for us on the Facebook. Um, no more Janet Jackson, Michael Jackson, nothing like that. Let's kick it off right. 1991, you couldn't do it without this one. Love this album through and through. One of my favorite tracks off it. Chris, I know it's one of yours. Oh, yeah. Metallica, Wolf and Man. Thank you guys for listening to the Decibel Geek Podcast, and we will be back next week. Rock on. Remember to check us out at dbgeekshow.blogspot.com, facebook.com slash decibelgeek, and Twitter at decibelgeekpod. Also available for free on iTunes and Stitcher Radio.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 